God's daily will for you. Interesting, huh? Let's take a look at, at what that actually is, God's daily will. Most of us have seen the cartoon of a spiritual guru on top of a mountain. Have you not? Cartoons, there are many of them. It's a, uh, the person is sitting on top of a mountain peak or on this high ledge to give them a, a lofty appearance of wisdom and, uh, and uh, knowledge. And uh, people climbing up to this guru, usually the guru has long hair and a beard, you know, and he looks mystical, and they climb up to ask the questions, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> what is my purpose in life? And what is the true road to happiness? And of course, you know, the guru uh, realizes that, you know, that he's got to come out with an answer. And uh, sometimes uh, most of the comics uh, come out with funny responses, like uh, the journey itself is the enlightenment. Or the air is thinner up here, so it helps you to focus more quickly on your thoughts. Or uh, here's a classic phrase, the guru comes back, I don't know, when you find out, please tell me as well. <laughs> and most people believe every word that this guru is saying, that he has wisdom and insight to help change their life around and help them to find that true road of happiness. Almost all of us, as kids, wanted to please our parents, right? The adult figures in our life. I know I, I was the same way. They, we wanted to do what our parents told us to do, find out what their will was for us each day. You know, obviously going to school, making sure your room is clean, and uh, helping out with the chores around the house when you're old enough. But um, not knowing what your parents or your adult expectations were uh, when you were growing up can be very frustrating. And if you as a parent are not explicitly being clear to your kids, it can be a very difficult time. And generally, we as people like to please those around us. We, we don't want to ruffle you know, their feathers, stir up the water. And we can do the same thing with God. We, we can ask God, God, what is my purpose in life? God, how, how do I find meaning? Lord, how do I attain true happiness? And how do, how do I please you? God, how do I please you? Well, finding the will of God and doing it is pleasing to him. And God, the Bible is very clear, God will never keep us in dark, in the dark about what his will is for us. As his children, he wants us to be aware of and become obedient to his will so that we can enjoy the most abundant life possible. Because when we're outside of his will, it's a bummer. Believe me, first-hand experience, I know. But when you're in his will, it's good, it's pleasing, it's right. And so the scripture this morning, let me read the verses out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and I call it God's daily will for us. It says this, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message on your will. I pray that you would help us to just relax and enjoy 
what do you have to share with us this morning? And God, I pray that you would honor your word today in a special way, in Jesus, Jesus' name. There are lots of scriptures that mention God's will. For example, Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. To do your will, O oh my God, is my desire. Your law is in my heart. Doing the will of God is a result from actually being in God's word. Reading his word and getting his word in your heart. You know what his will is when that occurs. Psalms 143 verse 10. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. In God, in order for him to teach us, we have to be in prayer. We have to be connected to God. I'm hoping that all of you have some kind of a daily prayer life when you're connecting yourself to God, a devotional time, so that you can hear from him. God speaks, by the way, and he usually speaks through his word to us. It's not normally an audible voice like, Barry, that's not what I want you to do. This is what I want you no. we, we find it out through his word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. Or verse 50 says, Whatever, whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, uh, and, and my, my, uh, my mother. Jesus was speaking to a group of people who, uh, who were saying, you know, Jesus, your, your mother is outside with your brothers, and, and they want you to you know, come out of this situation. And he turned to those around him. He says, whoever does my will is, is my family. In other words, it's a relationship, a deeper relationship with God when you're obedient to his will. Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there before. It's very interesting. These olive trees, man, they are old and all twisted. The more they grow, the more twisted they become. One of the, uh, uh, one of the docents, one of the uh, tour guides, I kind of happened to attach myself to this tour going through because Andrew and I were kind of by ourselves. And the tour guide was saying, these are offshoots of the original olive trees that were here in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was here. And it's a, you know, it, to use the phrase gnarly would be uh, somewhat accurate, uh, but they're all twisted limbs and they're very old, but it's very picturesque. And Jesus was in that garden and he was knowing what was going to happen to him. He was going to be arrested in just a few moments. The guards would come, and from there on out, it was torture and hanging on the cross for our sins. And so he got down on his knees and said, Father, if it is your will, please let this cup of suffering pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so he was following the will of his father explicitly. John 7, 17 says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. When you're doing the will of God, you, become, you begin to understand the difference between right and wrong. I can tell you, when the news comes on, I'm a news watcher, I have to admit, yes, I listen to all that stuff and it's very slanted, and I can immediately discern when <laughs> it just ain't right. What they're saying is very slanted. It's twisted towards the world's way of thinking. And you, not only that, but all around you, you can, un, you can understand the difference between right and wrong. There are spiritual forces of darkness out there that are, are out to, to, um, 
to minimize our impact on this world. And we have to be careful. So when you're doing the will of God, you're very sensitive to the things of God. Ephesians 6, 6, to do the will of God from your heart, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Do the will from your heart. Do your will with, do God's will with all of your heart, not just halfway. I don't know about you, but halfway people, kind of like they drive me nuts. When I played uh, football in high school, I would slough off sometimes. You know how it is in summertime, especially back there in Virginia. The humidity was almost as high as the temperature. You know, 90, 95 degrees and, you know, 94% humidity. So any kind of exercise, you were automatically drenched. And sometimes they just wanted to stop and go, oh, I don't want to do anymore. And coach would get behind me and go, Carol, Get your so-so out of your so-so and keep going, boy. What's the matter with you? And so he would push me and realize and try to get the best out of me, try to, try to play with my whole heart. And when I played with my whole heart, I did pretty well. But when I sloughed off, it wasn't good. So when we obey God, we obey with our whole heart. And then James chapter 4, verse 15, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this and do that. When you know God's will, he will guide you. God is in the business of guiding us. Thank goodness for that. Remember the Psalm 23? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. What is a shepherd's job? What is it supposed to do? Watch over the sheep and what else? Make sure the sheep don't kill each other or the sheep wander off and go to places they're not supposed to go. Right? So the shepherd's job is to guide them very gently back to where they need to go. Lead us into the uh, you know, paths of righteousness, into the, the still waters, all the things that are good for us. So when we're doing the will of God, he guides us. We're able to be guided easier. So when Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians, it was his first epistle. It was his first general letter. And I've shared with you before, when I was a kid in Sunday school, I remember our Sunday school teacher, this is like fifth grade, he goes, okay, you guys, what is an epistle? Somebody raises their hand and says, an epistle is a wife of the apostle. No, an epistle, <laughs> an epistle is a general letter. It's a Greek word, meaning a letter that was written to a particular church, but then it was just circulated around to different people so they could be they could read so almost all of the books in the new testament are what they call epistles general letters written by paul some of them from from prison and sent to the churches and that's how we get our scriptures today they're epistles and so paul is writing in this his very first epistle to the thessalonian church and he's congratulating them on their spiritual fervor, their, their zeal, their desire to do what's right. And in that particular letter, he reveals the second coming of Christ because many of them were asking, when is Jesus coming back? Because the heat's getting turned up around from the people around us who don't understand us. And, you know, we're, we're in the minority and these are all pagans around us. You know, and God is, and Paul was writing to them and saying, look, Christ is coming back. Hang in there. Well, it's been 2,000 years since this letter was written. So Jesus is coming back sooner now than he was back then, right? Guaranteed he's coming back. All right. And then, of course, he exhorts them to practice daily obedience to God. 
And right before that, he writes in a couple of things, verses 12 through 15, uh, he asks them to respect and honor spiritual authority over them that God has placed over them. He asks them to work hard at maintaining peace among yourselves, which uh, they were just like us. At the drop of a hat, they could get into an argument about something and start biting each other. And he's saying, look, you got to work hard at at, at, at promoting peace be gracious he was warning idle lazy people to be industrious hey you who are sitting on the sidelines just kind of you know doing this kind of thing get up and get out and get a job and the things that you earn used to be a blessing to other people so Christians aren't supposed to be lazy not that any of you are I'm just saying that that was Paul, and there were people in that church that were. And he was to, also wrote to encourage the fearful, those who are afraid of what was going on, and we can certainly be afraid today of the things that are happening, what's going to happen to our culture. Uh, this whole thing happening in Sacramento with uh, Stefan Clark and the shooting, and it, it's, uh, it's gotten out of hand in many cases. And so what's going to happen? Is it turning into lawlessness? What is our society coming to? It's an opportunity to get real, very fearful. But God, but, but God writes through Paul to the church there and to us today, don't be fearful. Look up. God is with you. And then he asked them, uh, the people there, to help those who are weak in faith, to grow spiritually. You, all of us are in the, on a continuum. Some are very weak in their faith. Some are very strong in their faith. Paul says those who are strong, help the weak. Help them to come along. Be with them. Be gentle to them. Be forgiving. Exercise patience. Don't seek vengeance, he's saying. And work hard to be kind and compassionate. And then when we come to our scriptures, he says, always be joyful. Right? Really? Always? That's impossible. Then he says, pray continuously. That's impossible too. How can we do that, Paul? And then he says, give thanks in every circumstance. Well, no way. There's some nasty things that are happening in my life. How can I give thanks for those? Well, let's take a look at uh, our, 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 our message today. You have the notes with you. Fill in the blanks. There is, it is possible to, be, uh, to have constant joy, continuous prayer, and concentrated thanks. It's possible. It's possible. First of all, the possibility of constant joy. Romans 5.8, it's because of God's great love for you, but God shows his own love for us while we're still sinners. Christ died. God loves you. We have no idea how much he loves us. Why? Because we're in bodies of sin. We, we filter uh, <clears throat> what God, uh, lo- his love for us, we filter it through our sinful being. And it doesn't come out good sometimes. But God loves us. We can be joyful all, always because our heavenly father who created us loves us. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 28. My message just a few weeks ago, everything works out for good. Everything works out for good. I'm going through some issues right now. Uh, I have to be honest with you. As your pastor, I'm not going to reveal them uh, because it's personal. One of them has to deal with a family member. It's a a very trying situation for me. But God is reminding me, everything works out for good. God works it out. And then, of course, Colossians 1.5. It's because of the hope of eternal life. Look, eternal life 
is coming sooner than we think. I, I, it was just yesterday that I was getting on the bus to go to kindergarten, kicking and screaming. Just yesterday. And now look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm a senior citizen. I'm taking advantage of that, by the way. At restaurants, any place I can get, man, my ARP card, I flash that baby out everywhere I go. There are some advantages. And my wife just got a letter. She, she probably won't like me telling this, but I will. I'm sure she'll be okay with it. She got a letter uh, recently that says that you are now eligible to enroll for Medicare. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> so we, we rejoiced, you know. I mean, it's a de definitely a reduction in our, <laughs> in our health insurance. So it's, it's, you know, the hope of eternal life. This life is passing away. It is temporary. You know, when you're Gabby's age and everything is in front of you, it's like, I got my whole life to live, Pastor. Amen to that. And I'm asking that God would just bless you so richly in everything that you do. But you'll one day look back and go, where did it all go? It went so fast. And so we have that, I have more years in, behind me than I have in front of me. I have more memories than I have experiences and adventures in front of me. And so I, I'm looking forward to the day, in a sense, when I step into his presence. I have a hope that it's, it is just wonderful. It's going to be absolutely marvelous. And then, of course, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, even though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you haven't, you haven't seen him now, you believe in him, that your focus is on Christ. Your focus is on Christ. You can have constant joy because of God's great love for you, because everything is going to work out to, to your good, and because you have the hope of eternal life, and because your focus is on Jesus. That should give you constant joy, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of pain. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, says, He shall keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We keep our focus on Christ. So the possibility of constant joy, it's possible. It's not impossible. You can do that. Secondly, the possibility of continuous prayer. Paul says pray continuously. Wait a minute now. You know, come on, God, I'm in my car you know, or I'm on my phone doing this and that, and how can I pray continuously? Psalm chapter 34, verses 4, 6, and 17. It says this, Paul writes, I mean, the, the, uh, David, King David writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me. I sought him and he answered me. God answered me. This poor man called and the Lord heard him, verse 6. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. Whenever we call out, God is always ready to listen. God is ready to listen to you wherever you're at, please. Whether it's in a marine boot camp, <laughs> wherever it is, God is ready to listen to you. He's there. His ear is bent towards you. And then, of course, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. God listens to short prayers. You don't have to pray lengthy prayers. Listen, when I ask you to come on the last Wednesday of the month, I don't expect you to get in here and be praying for four and five hours. That, no, that's not what it is. I, I'm, I'm, 
pleading with you as your pastor to join me in prayer so that when you come, even just for a few moments, I can pray with you and encourage you and send you on your way. The prayer times that we have are special. They're good. But your prayers, they don't have to be lengthy. Make them short prayers. Remember Peter when he was in the boat? And Jesus said to him, Peter, hey, Jesus was walking on the water, and it was at nighttime, and the disciples were scared witless because they thought Jesus was a ghost, a spirit. Hey, I've been there on the Sea of Galilee. What a beautiful place that is. And Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee on top of the water. And the disciples go, whoa, man, who is this? And then they realize it was, it's him, it's the master. And Jesus says, Peter, uh, uh, come on out of the boat. Because he knew that Peter wanted to join him. So Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk towards Jesus. The first human to walk on water. Jesus was human too, but, you know, Jesus was also divine. And he has supernatural power. And so Peter, walking on the water, Peter's, oh, Lord, I, I'm doing it. And then he looks down at his circumstances. I'm walking on water. Then he begins to sink. And his cry was, Lord, help me. Probably one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. God answered that. Your prayers don't have to be long. They can be short prayers. Just send up prayers. Sometimes I'll be driving and I'll come to a, a stoplight. I hate stoplights. I come to a stoplight, but they're good in a way because I get to look at the people next to me, you know, and, and gun my, my, my geo prism engine. They're very impressed with the four cylinders going, no, I don't do that. But I look over and I, I pray for the person on either side. I don't know what they're going through. Just, Lord, just touch them. Open their hearts. Short prayers. He listens. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We can constantly remember before God your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance inspired by hope. And what Paul is writing there in that verse to the church at Thessalonica. He's saying that your prayers, most of your prayers should be very specific. Make them specific prayers. You know, you know, it's okay to pray generally, like, you know, Lord, bless this church, bless the world. But more specifically, Lord, help Pastor Barry to, to preach better. Help Pastor Barry to, to uh, you know, to, to uh, give him wisdom to, to do what needs to be done to reach this community. Lord, bless me as I make choices on my finances. Lord, help me to get through uh, this ordeal that I'm going through. The specific prayers. God uh, encourages us to pray specifically. And so we can pray continuously. We can keep a continuous stream going. Short prayers, specific prayers. Lord, I'm, I'm tired. I need a break right now. God, help me. You know, give me, uh, uh, give me an opportunity just to rest a little bit. So all these things, the, the possibility of continuous prayer is good. It can be done. And then thirdly, the possibility of concentrated thanks. Concentrated thanks. Now, look at the scripture. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. What does it say there? Give thanks in all circumstances. Is there a difference? There's a difference. Big difference. Why would you give thanks for the, the untimely death of your loved one? Uh, there, we have a, the ministry 
We have a ministry with the Assemblies of God. It's called Convoy of Hope. Has anybody ever heard of Convoy of Hope before? Convoy of Hope goes all over the world in disaster areas. They carry goods and supplies, uh, chaplains that go there and meet the, the physical needs of people, food, clothing, shelter, medicine. They're there uh, on the spot, and they're an outgrowth of a man named Hal Donaldson. Hal is from California, Northern California boy. And one day, Hal and his brothers were being taken by their parents to a place, but the, the, there was supposed to be a babysitter to show up at their house. The babysitter was late, so the parents started to drive away from their house and take all their kids with them. But they looked, the father looked in the rearview mirror, and he saw the, the babysitter pull up. So he stopped the car, turned around, and brought the car back and dumped the kids out and said, okay, my wife and I are going. Drunk driver ran into their car, killed Hal's father instantly, and severely maimed Hal's mother. Took her years to recuperate. How do you, how do you give thanks for that? And Hal's, you know, <clears throat> from that time, to carry further, Hal realized that God was using him as he went through this horrible tragedy. He was the oldest of the kids. That God wanted him to do something as a purpose for his life. And so he actually went over to Mother Teresa, you know, traveled around, went to Calcutta, saw Mother Teresa, and she looked at him. She says, what are you doing to help the poor and the needy? And he goes, ah. So when he got back, he began a, a ministry, and it has bloomed it has blossomed into the convoy of hope international ministry through the assemblies of god all out of a tragedy you can't really give thanks for the drunk driver running into their parents but in the midst of that you can give thanks that god is using that for his glory suicide sickness accidents you, you name it i mean it's like thanks god for this you know disease that i have no, but in the midst of it, in it, give thanks. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, that we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So it says that because God uses all things to mold us into his image, God uses everything to help mold us, to change us, to transform us into the image of of his son Jesus. I am being transformed uh, uh, even as the heat is turned on in my life. I'm being more transformed. I can tell you that my reactions to the things that are going on are a whole lot different now than they were a few years ago. I can see the difference in my spirit. I'm going, thank you, Jesus. I'm not thanking you for, you know, for what's going on, but in the midst of it, God, you're doing something in my heart. You're changing me to be more like Jesus. And then, of course, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, Paul is writing and says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be a fool. Be wise. And it says, Don't be drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't do the things that the world does. But do the things that God wants you to do. Don't, don't go into the world's habits. <clears throat> I remember telling my son, before my youngest, before he went into the military, I said, Andrew, I said, the military is a spiritual desert. He said, you're going to have to carve out for yourself your own time with God. 
because most of the people around you are not going to be serving the Lord. So you've got to. You've got to establish that time of devotion and, 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 and drawing close to it. And Andrew, six years later, now out of the uh, active duty, but still w- with the Air National Guard, he, he's, he's a changed young man. And he's more in love with Christ than ever before. So our whole attitude changes when we are giving concentrated thanks in things that happen, our attitude changes. Things happen within us. We, we, we don't see the negative. We don't see the glass half empty. We see the glass half full. We don't have a cloud hanging over our heads. Our attitudes change because of the fact that we are giving thanks in the midst of it. Thank you, God. I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't know why this is happening, but God, I choose to give you thanks and to praise your name. And as that happens, we are changed. And then, of course, Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, God dwells in the midst of our thankfulness. He inhabits our praises. He dwells in the midst of our thankfulness. God dwells there. I can tell you, the other day, I, I, I got into I got a, a sour face. My uh, in the um, Hawaiian pigeon, it's called manku, a manku face, and everything just changed. I go, why am I doing this? So I shifted gears, went back to you know God. I don't understand. I'm kind of jammed up right now, but I'm still going to thank you and praise you, and just everything started to just kind of filter away, and I began to realize that God was doing things in my life so it's not impossible it's possible to have constant joy it's possible to have continuous prayer and it's possible to have concentrated thanks this is the will of God for you on a daily basis is to walk with your head upright in a world that is spiraling downhill especially in our nation to stand up for what is good how many of you have ever heard the name Henry P. Cromwell, C-R-O-M-W-E-L-L. Let me see your names. I didn't think so. I know, I guarantee you have eaten many of his products. Henry Cromwell was raised in the Midwest and the Ohio region. He's affectionately called the autocrat of the breakfast table. He contracted tuberculosis as a boy and couldn't go to school for years. And his parents took him to a uh, revival with a young preacher named Dwight Moody, where, who started the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Dwight Moody, famous uh, preacher from the 19th century, the 1800s. At that meeting, young Henry Cromwell got saved, and he felt God calling him to be a preacher. But when he got home, he realized, you know, God, I, my tuberculosis, my sickness, I really can't be a preacher, but I can be a good businessman. And he said, God, if you will let me help me to make money, I promise I will use it in your service. And so not long after that, the doctor gave Henry Cromwell the green light to go work outdoors for a while, 
to do some lumbering, and uh, he built up his his uh, his health. And when he was better, he saved up enough money to buy a little rundown mill in Ravana, Ohio, that was owned by the Quakers. Now, have you, you've heard of the Quakers before, have you not? If they get the name from the Holy Spirit experience that they have in service, sometimes they'll, uh, they'll get so excited about God, they'll quake like this. So they were called the Quakers. <laughs> anyway, so he bought this Quaker, this mill that grinds, grinds up kernels of wheat. He bought it uh, for a bargain in a little town called Ravana, Ohio. Within 10 years, Quaker oats was a household word to millions. How many of you have eaten Quaker oats before? <laughs> yes, all of us have. For over 40 years, Henry Crowell faithfully gave 70% of his income to God's causes. Started out with the 10% that his preacher uh, it suggested that he do, and then from there, he and, and the more he gave, the more God blessed him. And he, and he did this because he realized that God's will was not for him to do what Henry wanted to do, but God's will was for Henry to do what God wanted him to do. And in that, he was a forerunner of business. He treated his employees uh, with respect and dignity and his company continued to flourish as he practiced Christian principles uh, with his employees. And of course, Quaker Oats is known all over the world, isn't it? Huh? It's interesting because when you do what God wants you to do, starting with a daily regimen of joy and prayer and thanksgiving, how that builds up and God can really, really bless you through that. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, this is, a, <clears throat> this is not an easy passage because it, looking at it, it seems impossible. But yet, God, you have called us to be children, your children, in a world that is not even close to practicing these. I pray that you would help all of us to have that joy unspeakable, full of glory in our hearts that we would keep our eyes focused on you. And Lord, that you would help us to keep our prayers and that prayer chain, that prayer line connected to you, Lord. I pray that that would stay open in a constant basis, continuously, Lord, that you would help us to, to focus in on, on all the things that are around us, Lord, even before we, we go out to do something, that you would help remind us to say, Lord, please protect me as I drive. Lord, when I get to my destination, please help me to be a blessing to the people and on and on. And Lord, then please help us to have concentrated thanks in all things. In all things. I pray that for each of my brothers and sisters here. And we thank you for that. Now may the grace of our our God the Father, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now, today, in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's give the Lord thanks. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Thank you for your word today. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord.